Hello everyone, you are listening to Carolina Kalin on the Rethinkers podcast. In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking to Helen Jukes. Helen Jukes is a beekeeper, writer, and writing tutor. Um, her book, A Honey Bee Heart Has Five Openings, was listed as Book of the Year, Book of the Month, or Book of the Week by numerous different writing outlets. Um, and A Honey Bee Heart Has Five Openings is a very insightful, uplifting, and refreshing read, and just wonderfully written. And it's about Helen Duke's experiences as a beekeeper. I'm glad I got the opportunity to chat to Helen Jukes about her experiences as a beekeeper and about her book. And in our conversation, we mostly explore how to foster a reciprocal relationship to nature. And we discuss what value we can find in exploring our more immediate environments or surroundings. I hope you'll enjoy listening to this episode of the Rethinkers podcast. So could you perhaps start by telling listeners how come you became a beekeeper and what motivated you to learn about beekeeping? I think I first started learning about beekeeping when I was living in London in my early 20s and I was introduced to a guy called Luke Dixon who is an urban beekeeper. And at the time that I met him, he had around 50 hives across the city. And I was working an office job. So I was in this very kind of quite sterile environment every day under fluorescent bulbs in a, in a sort of windowless office. And then um, I met Luke and he offered to take me to see one of his beehives. And it was the most kind of terrifying enlivening experience that I'd had for a long time and and much more scary and sort of disconcerting than I think I'd expected and it it was like finding a missing link <laughs> that I think I I grew up in the countryside and so I missed the I missed the connection that I had had as a child with nature and and something about this experience of of um, finding these sort of hidden places that Luke had all across the city. They were on rooftops, in hidden wildlife gardens, in parks, um, on council estates. And following him and kind of entering the world of the bees and the beehive became this really special part of my week. And a few years after that, I moved to Oxford and was living I was I was renting an inner city house but I had a garden for the first time and so I think I think I was still suffering from this sort of urban disconnect and it had sort of occurred to me that oh actually for the first time I might be able to keep a colony of bees of my own and uh then before I knew it I was gifted a colony by a group of friends a group of friends all clubbed together and bought me a colony and so I don't know if I ever would have done it unless it was done to me. But so suddenly there I was with a colony of bees about to arrive. So <laughs> I was curious as to what motivated you or what attracted you to beekeeping initially. Was it more of a fascination with bees and beehives or uh, the idea of making homemade honey? Or maybe it was something uh, entirely different? 
Yeah, I think for me, it was something very particular about the experience and the the very sensory experience of meeting a creature that was so different and so foreign to anything I was used to. And I remember Luke, my friend in London, saying very early on that he felt like he would never stop learning about bees. And that's exactly how I feel. I've never felt really like I know what I'm doing as a beekeeper. I mean, I'm sort of, I've learned a lot and I kind of understand them a lot more than I do, but I I am always, they always outwit me <laughs> and they're always more complex than I realise and, and more clever than I realise. And so I think there's something about being so fascinated by another creature and also so enveloped by their world it's not like having a dog where the dog's kind of part of your home and it's got a little bed in the corner. To open a beehive is to step into a very strange kind of sensory shift because all the bees come out and they're moving around. And so the smell, the touch, the sound, everything changes. So it's a very strange experience. And, and as I said before, like quite a disconcerting one. And I, and I am still quite scared of them, but I, I kind of like that. And I like how, yeah, I think it's quite unusual. It can become quite unusual to be afraid in the modern, in the modern world or to be afraid of another creature. And I quite like having to keep coming up against that. That's like fear or wonder or awe. Maybe respect as well. It felt it felt important to me somehow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like when we think of insects, we often think as uh, sort of a wild creature that's quite simple, like uh, compared to, for example, mammals. Uh, and so I find it really fascinating how you still think they're such complex uh, creatures and that you can basically never stop learning about bees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really does something to the idea of an evolutionary hierarchy. I feel <laughs> under them, <laughs> absolutely underneath them, and they have so much to teach us. <laughs> so I have a, a very young daughter now, and since I got pregnant, I have taken a step back from beekeeping. But she's at the age now where she is becoming so excited by insects and bees and flowers and small things that she sees moving around in the garden. And so I'm really, yeah, I'm really keen to kind of start again and involve her in it. Most recently, I was co-keeping with a neighbour, so sharing, sharing a beehive with another person locally. I think more and more I'm interested in that as a way of beekeeping, that it can be a way to bring a neighbourhood together. Or yeah, that's quite beautiful. Uh, is your daughter scared of bees? Since we're talking about the fear before, and I feel like children have a different approach to these feelings. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, not at all, which makes me a bit nervous because, because she, I mean, she has no sense that they could sting her or that, that they might hurt her. But it's also interesting being around, I've noticed around other parents how early we condition children to be afraid of insects. So we went to a farm park the other day and I heard parents kind of say, seeing a spider and saying, oh, stamp on it, stamp on it to a child. And I was thinking, oh, no, <laughs> let's not bring our children up. And to actually, film. yeah, they trap like flies and mosquitoes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, they're important. They're so important to us. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, if that's okay with you, I'd sort of like to dive a bit deeper into next uh, bigger section, which is a set of questions exploring um, kind of your experience of uh, keeping bees in terms of uh, the relationships, the relationship you had with them or how that changed your relationship or outlook uh, on nature. So the first question here is, were you always someone who enjoyed being outdoors? Yeah, I really was. I grew up in a small village in the middle of England. And um, yeah, I think exploring hedgerows and streams and fields and being outside was so important to me as a child. It was kind of my... Often it was it was kind of my dream space or my in-between space between school and home. And it was a place where imaginary play could happen and hiding could happen and secret games could happen away from grown-ups' eyes. And yeah, it was really, yeah, a place of exploration and, and uh, adventure. That's really poetic. I guess I, I'm also someone who really likes uh, spending time outdoors, um, but I felt like recently there have been moments when I've been outdoors where I've been feeling kind of as if I've been consuming landscapes or experiences rather than on really focusing on fostering a um, relationship to the land or to wild creatures. And I was wondering if that's something you felt in your past as well or something you have any thoughts about. Yeah, I think that's such a good observation. And again, as a parent, I'm really, I'm noticing how often our experiences of nature are packaged or prepackaged for us. So when I take her out to a park, we're often, we're following a path through the woods and there's kind of a neatly gated route that we're following. And, um, yeah, I think that's a really, interesting insight that you have about how we might foster more reciprocal relations and the ways that we might do that and I guess for me getting to know my immediate environment my local environment is really important to that so I've recently been learning more about wildlife garden and how how to make my garden more bee friendly or more insect pollinator friendly And I think as much as our experiences have become prepackaged, I, I think there's a kind of growing awareness now of the need to, of the need to build these reciprocal relations with environment. And, and so, for example, my local community have been doing a litter pick and have been doing wildlife surveys. And I think there are, once we become aware of these things, it's, There are so many possibilities and, and uh, there's so much potential for taking a different kind of relationship. But but important to become yeah. aware. Yeah, I feel like there is a, maybe a growing awareness of, uh, well, maybe first of all, an appreciation of uh, how valuable our environment is for us. And then maybe a sense of loss, like with everything that's happening with climate change and so on, that we feel like uh, we need to become better, better stewards uh, of our world. Absolutely. And it's really, I think it can be really empowering to find some agency as well, even if it's really, even if the actions are really small, like a litter pick or like a wildlife survey. 
we become agents in our environments that way, don't we? we? We're not we're not kind of passive observers anymore. We're we're part of what's happening. And, and do you feel that yeah. in connection to this, your experiences in beekeeping have transformed uh, the way you view or think of nature? Yeah, and not always in an easy way. I think before I started beekeeping, I or before I started reading around and understanding more about beekeeping I had an idea that it was this quite pastoral craft and that it was very much about becoming closer to nature and natural rhythms and I think it can be those things but beekeeping today takes many forms There are now honey farms, for example, in the US that are thousands of hives wide and honey across the world has now contains pesticides. So bees have absolutely become um, enveloped in industrial ag agriculture and intensive agriculture. And I think to learn about beekeeping is to learn in a way about how deeply entwined our fates have become and how the fate of the honeybee is absolutely uh, bound up in human culture and the fate of human culture. And so if anything, if, if my idea of nature and my idea of our place in the world has shifted, I think it's, I now can't think about bees without thinking about how absolutely connected we are with our environments and how every action that we make implicates has implications beyond ourselves and beyond our own species so yeah i think i think beekeeping has kind of been a lesson for me in taking a more ecological yeah, that's so that's really interesting of life yeah i yeah. find that a really insightful because that's sort of one of the big questions i always have in my head like how can we How can we sort of get a deeper understanding of how just how intertwined the kind of human beings are with nature? And I feel like for me, there's sort of a distinction between sort of knowing the facts and knowing factually that that might be true, as opposed to feeling that that's true. And what I gathered from reading your book, A Honeybee Heart Has Five Openings, was very much the sort of feeling part of it, like a feeling that that sort of intertwinedness or that that connection that that's something real and true and so your book was just incredibly uh, beautiful in this regard and uh... well that's lovely to hear <laughs> no, it really, uh, yeah it really touched <laughs> that's really me. nice and I think I mean, I mean because that that oh that's so lovely um yeah I think that's how it felt and I and I absolutely Yeah, I absolutely agree that it can be really difficult to move that sort of ecological thinking from a cerebral level into a more concrete felt level. But yeah, somehow something as tiny and specific and real as a honeybee really helped me make that yeah, shift, I think. That's I think. Just, yeah, yeah, incredibly beautiful and inspiring. To dive a bit deeper into kind of how your worldview or your perception of the world has shifted through the keeping of peace, 
There's one example that you talked about in your book that really spoke to me, and that was the perception of color. You mentioned how one's perception or meaning of color can change uh, since bees have a very different perception of color. And that was just really fascinating for me. So could you maybe talk about this a little bit uh, for listeners? Because I think that's a, yeah, just a really interesting concept to grasp. Yeah, so bees see a slightly different part of the color spectrum than we do. They see more blues than us, which is why many um, flowering plants have evolved to flower in blues and yellows to make themselves more attractive and, and eye-catching for bees. And I found, I found that my perception altered in many ways the first spring that I kept bees, but one of the ways was that I started noticing more blues around me which was a really, yeah, I think was part of what made the whole experience quite enlivening, that my that my tangible experience of the city was being altered. And then not only was I noticing blues, I was also noticing flowers in places I hadn't spotted them before. And I was noticing wild spaces I hadn't known existed and I was and I, and then I started exploring the city more and I started kind of uncovering hidden like hidden meadows that I hadn't known were there. I feel quite emotional somehow talking about it because it was it was a really powerful experience to kind of learn to inhabit my home and my city in a different way. And it really it made me feel less like a less like I was caught in the rat run, in the urban rat run, that I was, there were spaces opening up in my day and spaces opening up in my routine. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really important experience. <laughs> and do you think that sort of shift in perception has stayed with you now, even though uh, you don't keep bees, uh, you no longer have a beehive, or even though you share a beehive with someone else now? Yeah, I think it has to be a practice, doesn't it? It has to be a practice to keep keep attending to living things and keep making space in our day to pay attention to things beyond the human world. And when we're when our days become full of deadlines and housework <laughs> and running from one place to another it's really difficult for it to slide but I I definitely have a have an intention now to every day to try and yeah just just pay attention to what's going on around me so for example and having I think having a young child is really um important for that so this morning my daughter woke up and she was saying, it's raining, it's raining. And I hadn't noticed it was raining, but there she was hearing the sound on the roof and that I hadn't heard. And so, yeah, it's a good way to kind of be be more present yeah. somehow. So sort of like being more present, but then maybe being more present, kind of rediscovering the childlike wonder maybe around about the world uh, around us. Huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this connects well to my next question as well, sort of the notion of slowing down in like uh, our daily lives to find uh, moments to just enjoy uh, the pleasures of life or of nature. 
Because I remember there was a passage in your book where you kind of talked about the development of modern beehives and how that allowed sort of for an ever-increasing productivity of honey. And that I think links really well uh, to sort of that characteristic of our society um, as a society that's very busy with busy work schedules, homes, and ultimately kind of busy minds. And from your book, I got the notion that the act of caring for a very particular spot in one's backyard, um, that that's a very different experience of nature than, say, if you go hiking every weekend, uh, but in the rush of doing so, you, you always want to go to a different place, to different places uh, where you have different views. And so I was wondering if you feel that, that the act of caring for one very particular spot in your garden and really observing that spot, if that's been an important factor in your experience of nature? Or has it calmed down that sort of inner drive uh, to always be productive, to always be busy uh, and so forth? Yeah. That's a really good question. And I think when I started writing the book, I think that was part of what I wanted to... That experience was something that I really wanted to valorize in a way that we often the, the domestic humdrum mo mundane aspects of experience are often overlooked but are so important and that bringing an attention to domestic spaces can lead us into a different way of understanding ourselves and where we live so yeah I think yeah I think the point you make is is spot on and that there is a real deepening that comes from knowing knowing your turf better but also for me because the bees um don't stay in the domestic space they're constantly moving beyond the garden and they're constantly foraging they they fly up to six miles from the hive there also comes with that a real sense of how the domestic space is connected to the world beyond it and so Yeah, that felt like a really, a really interesting point of reflection, really. And I ended up doing a lot of thinking that year about what, what home is and, and how we, how we home. Bees have these amazing homing abilities and kind of skills in orientation and, and, uh, made me think a lot about how we move around the world and, and locate ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting and insightful observation that so you pay attention to one particular spot in your backyard, but by doing that, uh, your focus also shifts to kind of the connections uh, to the worlds beyond uh, your little home. Exactly, yeah. And I feel like that's the, that's the lesson that bees have for us is just this kind of constant connectedness <laughs> and all pollinators really. That's their, their thing, is, is to connect. <laughs> the way you talk about home here and how you sort of think about the word home and the, what that can mean. And to me, that was a really uh, interesting aspect of your book as well, that you play a lot with different words and you sort of try to understand the meaning or different ways of uh, looking at different words. And one of the words you were thinking about, I guess, in a more philosophical sense of the term, was the word to keep and there was a 
paragraph in your book that really spoke to me there that I think aligns really well with the rethinkers theme of the podcast. Uh, and we were talking about the paragraph right before the interview. So I was wondering if you would be willing to read that paragraph aloud to listeners. Yeah, shall I yeah, read sure. it now? Perhaps it's no surprise that I've been feeling uncertain about how to keep, if even the dictionary isn't sure of a right meaning for it. But then isn't our whole mode of keeping, our capacity to keep, undergoing a major crisis of confidence at the moment? Climates are changing. Colonies are dying. Our ability to sustain environments of all kinds is being called into question and we're having to face our own dependency on those ecosystems we've seemed intent on destroying in our bid to control and manage nature. Quite apart from the dictionary update, taking pause to rethink and revise what we mean by keeping, and how, how we go about it, may be badly needed. Thank you for reading that. Would you mind explaining what this paragraph means to you personally, or uh, how we could go about taking pause to rethink and revise. Yeah, it, so it needs a bit of context, doesn't it? Because that paragraph came in a section of the book where I'd been doing some research into the etymology of certain words and I'd been, I'd been reading the Oxford English Dictionary and I'd, I'd learned that the word keep, so I'd learned that while while the meaning of the word keep over time has come to mean something that is more about control, its earliest meaning was closer to, I think I remember the, the very definition from the Oxford English Dictionary, its earliest meaning was closer to to lay hands and, and closer to taking care. And I think I became really interested in light of, I guess, thinking about sustainability in the context of and the world's natural resources. I became really interested in thinking about what we mean when we talk about keep and how we might better think of our role as keepers and, and how important it is to start letting go of old assumptions that resources, species, landscapes will keep renewing themselves indefinitely. And um, so that if we, if we want to become stewards, if we want to protect them, our ways of thinking about ourselves and our actions need to drastically change. I guess I began to think of keeping in that more open-handed way that how could I, how could I act with care? And how would acting with care, how, how might acting with care promote a more sustainable future? That's so interesting. Okay, I think that really aligns with the theme of this podcast. Does that roughly yeah. add up to an answer? Yeah, and it, it really aligns, uh, yeah, it really okay. speaks to me because it aligns with the idea of the podcast, which is really sort of the question, like the underlying sort of assumptions we have about our world or maybe learning how to let go of that and make space or room for a new vision so yeah to me that also really connects to how we view sort of relationships or the relationship we have to the earth because I think 
for me, one of the big reasons we've gotten ourselves into such a big uh, environmental mess is our society's tendency to view our relationship to the earth as one that only goes one way. And that's a very general way of putting it, but sort of generalized. It comes down to that for me. Um, so I feel like we profit from nature, whether that's to extract natural natural resources or whether that's um, for recreational activities. But I don't really feel like we give back much to nature. And to me, like a healthy, caring relationship uh, would be very much one where we give and we receive. And so, so the giving and the taking go uh, both ways. And again, your book was incredibly inspiring to me here because I very much felt like you viewed your relationship to the beehive as one that goes both ways. Um, and so I was, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what the bees and the hive gave you and what you feel that you were able to give back to them. There's so many interesting insights in that question. I think one of the one of the most important lessons for me about beekeeping is that actually the the bees don't need us at all as beekeepers the bees don't honeybees don't need us and what pollinators of all kinds really need are safe flower rich habitats with space for nesting and foraging and so if I have a role in relation to pollinators and bees of all species, it is to do everything I can to make spaces where they can thrive. Um, honeybees are naturally forest-dwelling species, but they are one of, I think it's, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's 60,000 species of bee in the world. 20,000 oh, wow. species of bee. I didn't know there were so many. Um. Yeah, and most of them are solitary. Yeah, and so to kind of to become aware of these infinitely complex, diverse lives happening all around us, I think is to really shift our understanding of our importance or our, our significance in the world. And yeah, for for me, it's a it was a real. Uh, wake-up call to think about what other species need from us in a way. So I got a lot from beekeeping. I got a little bit of honey. I did take a little bit of honey. And I had a really profound experience of becoming closer to another creature and learning about a life that was so alien to me and and complex in ways I'd never imagined but really the bees didn't benefit that much from having me there <laughs> which was good to remember I yeah think. yeah and I find it really interesting how for you the experience itself seems to have been a much more important factor than the honey because I think it's just the it's nice if we can have an engagement with nature where like a materialistic extraction I guess isn't the isn't the the main driver. So I think that's quite inspiring. Yeah, I have a friend who is really key, who, who talks about honey as, um, who talks about honey as medicine. 
and who thinks that we should think of honey as medicine and that that would change the value that we place on it. So we would stop seeing it as a a kind of commodity that we can buy up in a supermarket and we would place a a sort of, it it would become a, I guess, a health food or, or something that we would just have in very small amounts and I quite, I quite yeah, like. Like that you idea. wouldn't sort of regularly bake cakes or put honey into your tea as a sweetener if it was a medicine. Like you'd be more careful about how you use it. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting how you were mentioning um, that you feel like the bees didn't need you to uh, go on with their buzzing <laughs> business of being bees. So would you say that? It was more like the bees or the beehive guided you in learning how to care for the beehive um, as opposed to sort of you controlling or guiding the hive. Yeah, absolutely. There were so many times that I would open up the hive and notice that something had happened in there. Some some small problem had cropped up and the bees were already the bees had already found a solution before me. And so, yeah, more and more, I think I found the experience of stepping back and seeing myself as a learner and being guided and and kind of trying to work with them rather than against them has been really satisfying to me as a beekeeper. And I always find that I enjoy it more when I'm not trying to make them do a thing that they don't really want to do <laughs> I mean but th- but that is a very particular approach there are some beekeepers who are much more kind of I guess much more interventionist than than I have been I think it's so interesting how he mentioned that the bees were sort of quicker than you to find a solution when there was a problem because I think I think as I said a bit earlier often when we think of insects we think of a sort of much simpler wild creatures than we are and we wouldn't really sort of associate them with the intelligence I guess the way we associate certain mammals or ourselves with intelligence so I think it's really it's really interesting uh, that there does seem to be like there is a a sense of intelligence there in the way they can adapt to situations and find uh, solutions to problems yeah it's really to open up a hive and see see them working together is it's just so amazing so so honeybees spend most of their lives in pitch black they only leave the hive right towards the end of their life when they become foragers but because most of their lives are spent in the dark most communication happens via sound and touch and smell so when you open up the hive there might be tens of thousands of bees in there at any one time and a single queen who they are aware of all the time through a a particular pheromone that she gives off that that like a smell or an odor and and a smell exactly yeah and yet there is just this constant communication and feedback happening between them all of all of the time so that they're able to regulate how many young are being born what sex are being born how much food where they are in the season, they regulate their temperature. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, so to to open up the hive is to kind of get a sense each time of this incredibly intricate and intense 
communication system. <laughs> it's really, yeah, and really inspiring as well in terms of how communication can happen and how in touch a community of beings can be with each other. Yeah, and maybe that comes back to what you touched upon earlier of how we sort of need to learn how to let go of assumptions we have about our world. Maybe we need to let go of some of the assumptions we have regarding sort of a species' intelligence or like ways of communication and make, make space for new ideas of how those concepts can function. Yeah, absolutely. We're so visually orientated and verbal in our culture. And I think, I think for me, getting to know the bees was sort of a reminder of how many other ways there are to sense and perceive and become aware. Yeah, that's absolutely. Really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. If that's okay with you, I'd like to dive into the next um, set of questions, which is really about uh, your writing experiences. When you were writing, A Honeybee Heart has five openings. And my first question regarding your writing is, well, first of all, what made you decide to write a book about your experiences? Yeah, good question. So I think I'd begun, I'd begun keeping a beekeeping journal quite early on another beekeeper had told me you must keep a journal because that is how you're gonna you'll notice patterns you'll notice cycles repeating and you'll learn so much from being able to kind of check back over so I started keeping this beekeeping journal but very quickly it also became a repository for things that I'd read and um, research that I started doing into I mean, I became really uh, fascinated with beekeeping history. And I, I mean, you know, from having read the book, I got really obsessed with a 19th century blind natural historian at one point. Yeah, I remember that. travelled to London to <laughs> read his letters. Um, and, and yeah, I think there was just, there was, it was like there was something in it all that was helping, that I just had this sense was going to help me kind of understand something about my life or our culture that that I was struggling with and so the journal that I was keeping started filling with scribbled notes and conversations that I'd had with friends and and then observations from the hive and before long I think I sort of I started writing about it in a more personal way and sooner or later, I think people started saying, oh, maybe you're going to write a, maybe it's going to become a book. And there's also this saying, I, I, a few people told me, oh, if you become a beekeeper, you'll definitely write a book. Like all beekeepers end up writing a book. And I was thinking, oh, no, I won't write a book. But then something, something about the whole thing just gathered its own momentum and yeah, eventually it did feel like there was something I really wanted to say and something I really wanted to sort of understand. And so I just, I kept writing and the thing kept being written and, and eventually, yeah, it felt like there was a book in it. Yeah, well, as a reader, I'm really glad that you felt like there was something you had to understand and something you had to say, because uh, I think you have a lot of really insightful and uh, inspiring things to say. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That's um, 
Yeah, and how did you make uh, time to write the book? Because I feel like uh, that's another thing in sort of our busy, our often busy lifestyles. Like, uh, how does one take the time to do something like uh, writing a book? Yeah, good question. I used to do an hour or two before work. I'm a real early morning riser, so I used to wake up and have a cup of tea in bed and sit and write before work. And I think, I think for a while, I just did it in the gaps. And then there was a point when I decided to take a plunge and I quit my job and I was very lucky to have a friend who offered me a place to stay on a mountain in Italy and I took I took it <laughs> and so and so that's where that nice. was where I wrote the uh, that was where I wrote the draft surrounded by these huge carpenter bees which are almost like flying beetles and very loud and fuzzy and blue almost like a kind of petrol blue really strange up and up in the Italian Alps so it was it was an amazing place to do it because I was surrounded by these really peculiar species of wild bees. nice yeah, I like that and do you feel like the writing experience was essential for you as well to really let the, your experiences sink in and uh, for them to shape your ideas and thoughts about the the way you view your world Yeah, absolutely. For me, writing is how I think. It's how I, it's how I sort of find a place to reflect and articulate my experience. So yeah, for me, it was essential. Yeah. And I think on your on your website, I saw that you are working on a new book. Is that right? I am. Yeah, I don't know if I've put it up on my website actually, but I'm working on a book at the moment about motherhood and nature so I'm doing again doing a lot of reading about other animals yeah there's there's a couple in the pipeline at the moment but but right now I'm working on on one about motherhood and nature which which feels really exciting and uh, do you know when that will come out or no okay Not, yeah, yeah no yeah. no yeah. no yeah and that's sort of about your experiences I guess in uh, having a daughter and Yeah, it's very early days, but um Yeah, yeah it's okay. very early days. <laughs> but I but I I feel excited about it. I'll be so excited to read it when it comes out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not saying much. Yeah. It's so it's so difficult to it's so difficult to talk about things at the start of a project, but I feel yeah, excited sure. about it. That's fine. <laughs> um Yeah, so from my perspective, I'm through with the questions I had. I still have three uh, final questions, sort of very quick um, last round questions. Um, and before I ask you those, I was wondering if there's something else you would like to add or if you feel like there's sort of an important topic uh, related to the things we've been discussing that uh, that we've left out. No, 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 no. Your questions are so good. You're really good at interviewing. So it's good. It's great. No, no. Thank you. I'm not sure I am, but well, thank you. <laughs> oh, you, no, you really are. You really are. Yeah, so I guess I'll move on to my final questions. Um, my first final question would be, how can people find out more about you or your work or get in touch with you uh, if they felt inspired by the book or by the interview? 
Oh, that's nice. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and it's uh, Helen two underscores Dukes. Uh, and I also have a website where I tend to post kind of upcoming talks, and I also I teach writing, so I have a couple of workshops coming up. Are those all in the UK, or do you do workshops outside the, or talks outside of the UK? I I have done have done talks and workshops. I don't think I have anything outside the UK coming up this year. But sometimes there are online online workshops. So so obviously. Um, yeah. Then the second question would be: Which free books or documentaries could you recommend to listeners that have really inspired you with regards to the topics we've been discussing? Yeah, you mentioned before we met that that you might ask me this question. So I was having it was quite fun. I was having a look back through my old B books and remembering the the books that had obsessed me. But I would say, um, so the Buzz About Bees by Jurgen Tauts T A U T Z is an incredibly scientific and exciting study of the sort of the finer points of honeybee behavior. Keeping Bees in Towns and Cities by my friend Luke Dixon is a really nice introduction to beekeeping. And anything by Dave Golson, who tends to write about bumblebees, but writes particularly about wild bee species. Yeah, those are those are probably my top three for all of, okay. all yeah, of these things you. that we've I been discussing. I uh, will post this on the website so that people can find your recommendations <laughs> if they want to learn more about bees. Ah, great, um, great. <laughs> the final question, uh, could you describe one act of kindness that really brightened this week for you? Oh, that's nice. Um, I have just discovered a new woods not far from my house and I went there with my daughter on Sunday and discovered a den that someone had built and it that Aww. felt like a kindness it's it was it was this beautiful den made from bits of fallen sticks and logs and inside it they'd made three oh, little cute. stools for us to sit on and we spent a long time sitting in there and looking out at the flowers and birds so yeah, yeah like that a little felt, sanctuary like someone built kind. in the forest <laughs> yeah 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 so those were my questions uh, thank <laughs> you so much for the interview helen i really appreciated our conversation oh, thank and, you uh, and thanks so much for such thoughtful questions. They were, they were really interesting questions. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can follow the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. The Instagram handle for the podcast is rethinkerspodcast.ch. Please do feel free to share the podcast with your friends or family. To stay informed about the release of new episodes, you can also subscribe to the mailing list by filling out the form on the podcast website, which is www.rethinkerspodcast.ch. And on the website, you will also find more detailed information about the Rethinkers podcast episodes. I'll also put up the links to Helen Duke's website and post her reading recommendations so that you can find them there. So thank you again so much for listening to the Rethinkers podcast and enjoy your day. Mm-hmm.